Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. You know, it was like going to Fenway Park for the first time or the Sistine <laughs> Chapel. I mean, it was, you know, he cut me a few pieces of Gruyere, which I treasured down the road. The funny thing was there were a couple guys in suits, not behind the counter, but they saw me with my guitar and they sensed that something odd was afoot. Yeah. And they were like, oh, are you one of those Kornheiser guys? <laughs> no. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Uh, this, of course, was Dan Byrne. <laughs> and Dan Byrne describing his performance at Calvert Woodley the other day on this show, talking about going to La Cheeserie, which, as I've maintained for 12 years on this show, is simply a cheese counter. Yes. Don't get carried away. For him to call it the Sistine Chapel is very <laughs> lovely. This comes from John Brandt. I'm a beer buyer at Calvert Woodley and have been for nearly three years. I got my job in part due, or more likely in spite of the fact that I was effusive in my interview with Michael Sands about you and the show podcast. I think Michael's comment was something along the lines of, oh, you're one of those people. Anyway, I was greatly distressed to hear that I missed out on meeting Dan Byrne at the store last Saturday. I must have been on a lunch break or something. Had I been available, I would have offered Dan a bottle of La Cheeserie beer which is a caramel macchiato, I hope I pronounced that correctly, or macchiato, imperial stout, ask Michael, brewed in honor of your love for coffee ice cream by Shy Bear Brewery in Lewiston, Pennsylvania. Funny story about the beer. The brewery's owner, Jason Euphema, or Euphema, conceived, brewed, and was ready to bottle the beer before he ever contacted us at Calvert Woodley to gauge our interest, support, and or horror in a beer named after our famed cheese counter. <laughs> We've already had one large order for the beer from a group of loyal littles, and we are hoping to spread the love with a special offer for listeners of the pod. I've attached a picture of the beer bottle for News Channel 8, and this is really lovely. If you go to our website, www.calvertwoodley.com, order the Shy Bear Lachiserie Caramel Macchiato Stout, and use the code TONYBEER10 for a 10% discount on all the cheesery bottles purchased. We're able to ship to 13 states, probably the original colonies, I would say, <laughs> and deliver in the District of Columbia for a small fee, or drop by the store for the full the cheesery experience. Come on, people, use the code from John Brandt, which I liked, and also from Thomas Bramble. Thank you for the additional mentions of TB Sellers, and it's C-E-L-L-A-R-S, like your seller. On the show, naturally, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts about the wine. Michael, we have not opened that wine. Uh, you have not offered me my bottle. Once you found out how good it was, you decided to keep that I, bottle. I didn't, I didn't open. Uh, I have yeah, two no, bottles. I know you have not opened it. Was you've, one you've, supposed to be for you? One was Did for I me and miss you, that you, memo? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll give it to you. The You're TB aging Sellers, it in your second wine cooler. The TB Sellers 2019 Cabernet Sauvignon won the double gold at the 2023 San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition. More than 1,000 wineries and 5,500 bottles competed. This is the first time I've ever entered a wine in competition, so of course I'm stoked. That being said, I do recommend pairing it with something other than chicken nuggets, expired ice cream, or harvested deer carcass. If you're not pulling a prime <laughs> filet mignon or ribeye out of the Yeti cooler, a cheese plate and or a simple char charcuterie, is that how that's pronounced? Charcuterie platter will do. I guarantee my wine will never get you laughed off of a 70-acre private school campus, Yeti cooler or not. That's a wonderful thing. And that's from Tom Brown. You stumble over charcuterie, but you're okay with macchiato. Is it macchiato? Well, it's because isn't, wasn't there an actor, yes, Ralph Macchio? Yeah, Ralph Macchio. No, it's a hard cake. Okay, it's a macchiato. Good. So Liz and Jeannie are here today, and we have lots to talk about. Um, the 
the uh, Academy Award nominations dropped last night or dropped yesterday, and Anne will be on later. Yes. But I want to give Gene a chance, your sort of overall. I don't know any of these movies. I don't know any of them. Your thoughts are well, basically. Well, I know uh, quite a bit. Yeah. I, I don't know as much as Anne. Have obviously. you watched, you've streamed a lot of these movies? I've been to movie theaters, actually. You have? Yes. Well, it, when you go You're at so the time brave. that I go, there's <laughs> okay. three people. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's generally safe. So let's, let's talk so about the I movies. I think at the top of my list, and you know, I, I, I can be critical. Um, the top of my list is Everything Everywhere. That got the most nominations. What is that? It's unwatchable. Oh, Um, okay. And and I would say if it had been released 50 years ago, 50% of the audience would have been on acid. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The other 25, another 25 would have been stoned. And I don't know about the last 25%. It is. Unwatchable. Gene McMahon. I concur. I I tried to watch it and I was like, what is this? I, I kept hanging in there thinking, okay. There will be some sort of denouement. There will be some way to justify. Jesse didn't like it either. The, <laughs> to justify the chaos yeah. that I have just experienced, and it just boggles wow. my mind that it got all of these nominations. Thirteen nominations. Now the actress is beautiful. She's fabulous. I have loved her and everything I've seen, but I, I do not. And, and you know, there's people listening now who are going to say, you old bag, you don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is like the way we do movies now. And maybe that's true. I am an old bag. But <laughs> I do, ex- I, I don't expect a linear structure, but I expect some understanding of what's going on in front of me. Did it look like, hey, kids, let's go to the barn and put on a show? Like it was just no. so random? No, it was just it, chaos. Chaos. Okay. Ca- metaverse. You know about the metaverse, don't no, you? No, I, I don't okay, know Okay, so neither did I. And the other thing that uh, bothered me was that the movie Nope was completely overlooked. Which And I nope. really... Nope. I really, N-O-P-E, Nope? Yeah, it's a Jordan Peele movie. It came out this summer. Oh, he's... Oh, the horror... Okay. Yeah, the, the, the alien thing, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was really good. I mean, he, it was very original. He's very original. I yeah. thought he might get a nod or two. Kiki Palmer was in it. She was fantastic. I thought she might get Best Supporting Actress. And, um, and then my final gripe is... That Sarah Poli did not get a nomination for Best Director. Okay, she's a woman. But she directed Women Talking, which is a very... Ah, it's uh, not an easy movie. It's sure. a very bleak, complicated, grim movie. But it takes place in the loft of a barn. And yet it's gripping, it's suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And she did a fabulous job adapting the screenplay. <laughs> But I don't understand why she did not get a directing nod. Other than other than everything, everywhere, all at once, a lot of, you know, because they've expanded from five movies to as many as right. ten. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, which I, I wouldn't see if you paid me. The Banshees, <laughs> Inishon. Loved it. Elvis, did you like Elvis? Loved it. The Fablemans, which is the Spielberg it's sweet. movie. Tar. It's, you know. Tar is Kate Blanchett. She's fabulous, but it's overblown. It 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 is very... Obscure. It takes so long to get to the point. It, it's it's not my favorite. Women talking, which you liked. I really liked. Triangle of sadness. That's something I I don't I don't think 
If I'm lining up and it's a five-plex, <laughs> I don't think I'm going into Triangle of Sand. I it's haven't me. seen that. The actress in it is supposed to be great. And Top Gun Maverick, which everybody loved. I liked. And which made money. Did, she goes <clears throat> insane yeah. talking yeah. about it. It's, I liked. Kind of it's not the kind of movie that normally gets nominated. Yeah. Right. Because it's not pretentious. And it's not uh, the product of 61 years of living in a bathtub. <laughs> And, you know, like most of the movies are, right? Anyway. No. I, mean, I, I would just say, right, so, I, I also watched uh, All Quiet in the Western Front. I don't you know if you I'm yeah. watching that tonight. It's, it's streaming. Fantastic. I'll bet it's great, uh, because 1918 oh. was great. Yes. I'll bet it's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, 1918 well, no, was great. It was wasn't great. It? Was it 1917? Whatever it was. 1914, whatever. Whatever it was. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1914, we took a little trip, <laughs> along with Colonel Jackson down to Miami, nice. Mississippi. Took a, took a little bacon, and we, we took, took a little beans. We caught the bloody British town of New Orleans. Johnny fired our guns, and the British kept... All right, so let me get off this and and get to the Australian Open. Yes, there's a transition. Have you ever, have you, you've been to all of them other than that? Correct. Right? You never got to go to that. It's a great regret. Do you, yeah, do you feel you missed something? Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I I just, I, I, I would like to experience probably every great sporting event, every great venue, iconic, you know, once in my lifetime. So, so that's a miss. I mean, I, I was in Australia for a month for the uh, 2000 Olympics. Okay. And I actually had, a, a, it was mainly in Sydney, but I did. Did you go, go to, to Melbourne, Melbourne on a side trip? No, I, there was a, a soccer match. Okay. You know, they have to spread soccer around right. whatever the country is. So I, and I, I was completely charmed by Melbourne and, you know, really. It's did so you go over it. to the tennis? Did you no. see? Okay. No, 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 no. I did. Yes. Did no, you no, see I, the Rod Laver court? No, I I just saw like a statue outside. Okay. But no, I was I was enchanted. But that was oh my god, that was twenty two years ago. Um, so no, I've never been to the Australian Open. And so I, so it, I've always thought it was the least of the four, but maybe it isn't. Maybe the French is the least of the four because Wimbledon and the U.S. Open are they're the most important. Is this the least of the four in your mind, the Australian? I I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, no diss, but I'm not even sure it was recognized as a Grand Slam early on. Or I could, well, let's scratch that I said that. I, I'm not saying literally scratch it, but right. I'm not. But I do know that in the 70s. For us to scratch it, you have to curse like Carville. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm capable of that. Yeah. But no, no, I guess the lumbering uh, point is for many, many years, not all the top players went because it That's was right. just such a drama That's show. Right. And for a long time, it conflicted with world team tennis. So right when that was launched and a lot of players like Chris Everett or you know others were, were trying to help that launch, they just didn't go to the Australian Open. So the records, if you go back to who's won the most, it's, it's not necessarily on a par. With I was curious about something. Yeah. You wrote a story last week in anticipation of it that Djokovic, who had been deported, literally yes. deported yep. last year for lying on his visa application, lying like a dog, uh, and they threw him out of the country. You wrote a story about he was welcomed back. And, and can you explain that? And what it, can you explain why yeah. that happened? Yeah, you know, I wish I could. I'm sure there are many, many layers. I mean, first of all, he's capable of incredible charm and humor, and he's very good with crowds. He can win them over very quickly. Um, you know, this this Australian Open, well, tennis in general, and, and it's hard to talk about this Australian Open without the macro pivot that the sport is 
being forced to make with the retirement of Serena, the retirement of Federer, you know, and the aging out of, of the older stars. And, you know, I think people see Nadal's end is quite close at hand. And, and Novak is, you know, kind of the last guy standing, although Andy Murray certainly was heroic. Well, he's for standing his, on, his on titanium hips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, so I don't know enough about the Australian ethos to say it's just a very forgiving place or like live in the moment and last year's last year or you know this sense that boy we really overreacted to the pandemic a year ago now we have our head on straight let's just you know okay. that was too harsh i don't know what it was but he is a magnetic athlete and a, and a super charming guy you know when he wants to be um and he should win he oh, is by far it is so brutal i mean he he has just like a buzz saw through, right. through you know, this morning at 3.30 a.m., his his quarterfinal didn't even last two and a half hours, I don't think. It was another straight sets against the world's number four or five player. And he's, he's won this thing more than anybody has Correct. won this thing. He, nine times. So yeah. he's going for 10 and more and importantly we'll tie. would tie. The 22. And he will break that. He will He will surpass Nadal. I, I can't fathom that he won't. Because <clears throat> he's yeah. still a great player. And he's... He's he takes such care of his body and and for the long haul. I mean, there's no. I mean, he had a little hamstring issue. I, I don't. He had a hamstring issue, but there's no sense that his body is betraying him at 35. We, meaning the American men, mm. we did pretty well. Yes, but in a really odd, but unexpected our, our way. Our best Correct. ones lost pretty early. Yes. Fritz lost early and yes. Tiafa lost early. Yes, exactly. But we, we appear to be sort of the middle class of tennis at this point. We got a lot of people from 20 to 60. We don't have a lot of people in the top 20 or the top 10. We got one guy and he's never won anything, Taylor Fritz. Are we making a comeback? And and I, are we making a comeback or, or should we not pay too much attention to this because we're really not threats to win anything? Definitely a comeback just because the low point was so very, very low, you know, in the in the wilderness since Andy Roddick 20 years ago won, you know, the last American man to win a slam, you know, and with uh, Serena retiring, um, Venus rarely advancing past the first round of a tournament, but in, in such a interesting way, keeps keeps competing. Um, you know, the the landscape of American men's tennis was just, it wasn't even you couldn't even comment on it. There was nothing there. Right. So it is it is a comeback. I, I think I so I think what needs to be what what's yet to be proven by this cohort of twenty somethings is the mental fortitude that you often see um in other countries. Uh there's just there there just seems to be a blindness in in about a lot of uh, American you know, someone jump in if I'm like well, I being mean, unfair. But no. I mean, it's it's kind of attractive and entertaining. But I just they I, I just have not known them to open a vein to win or you know, and I'd love to see that. So I used to cover tennis a long, long yes. time ago. Speak, and I will say this: that Jimmy Connors was yes. the toughest guy out there. Yes. Jimmy Connors would go to the net and hit you in the face with his racket. <laughs> no, I'm not saying he's a yeah, good person. No, in a gritty, a gritty <clears throat> background. Yes. But Jimmy Connors 
was exactly what you're talking about. And in those days, European players, Connors would say, none of them are worth anything. They have no guts. They won't stay in there. And he said that about all European players, even ones that beat him. He would try to beat them the next time. McEnroe wasn't like that. McEnroe was tough in a very sarcastic, intellectual way. But he wasn't tough like Connors. Connors would die out there. Yeah, the street fighter guy. Connors would happily die out there. Yes. And we don't, and it doesn't seem to me. I'm not seeing that. That Connors had what I would call a football mentality. And I don't see Mm -hmm. that in any of these players. Do you? No. No. I mean, that's sort of what you think of Nadal as a guy that's just out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Giving everything, refusing to give anything oh, yeah. you know and you look at that yeah. and say but in yeah. in you know a lot on the women's side in particular a, a lot of the eastern europeans you know who really that is the the one powerful ticket you know to 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 take care of their families to to have yeah. a great life you know it's it's not like in the u.s where as a young child you might have eight sports to choose from and gee today I like soccer today I want to try try field hockey and you know in our land of plenty I'm not dissing that we have a lot of options you know especially kids who grow up middle class or um you know it's just a land of plenty and it's hard it's the rare person that with those opportunities brings that killer i'm gonna die for this because this is all that matters well serena williams did that yes is she is she done is she done oh no one in their right mind would speak for serena or (laughs) or count her out in any way i would think she's done right um you know in terms of being on the tour and I know she kind of alluded to wanting to have a second child. So I have not heard anything in the way that Naomi Osaka recently said, I'm going to have a baby. It's like, wow, okay, I see why you're not playing this year. So I don't know where Serena stands on that. I think if she does get pregnant and, ha- you know, that would kind of tell you she probably is done because that would push back. Takes her and- out a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. We'll take a break. Richie? When we return, Richard Justice. That's right. We did that as a surprise for you. Richard Justice will talk about the Hall of Fame and about the non-sale, apparently, of the Los Angeles Angels. What do they call these years? The Anaheim Angels in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think that's it. The California Angels in Los Angeles. (laughs) You're not in Los Angeles. Okay, you're not. I'm Tony Kornhauser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. These songs are sent to us by Sean Tweedley, who's in a band called Mind Rip, M-I-N-D-R-I-P-P. It's the second time writing to send music. We played two of his songs in November, and there's a whole bunch of new songs. Although he says it's tough to top Gary and the marching band and the haunting sounds of the deep sea, but I'm trying. (laughs) This is called Color Me So Bright, and it plays in Richard Justice. You can listen to these songs at the end of everything. Plays in Richard. Richard! We got to start with the fact that 
to my surprise, and I will say to my surprise, there was somebody elected to the Hall of Fame yesterday, and it is Scott Rowland. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm surprised. Also, I, I, it seemed like we were turning toward having no one. Yeah. Uh, last year, one guy, David Ortiz. The year before that, none. And, and that followed a trend um, in the in the in the six years prior in the six elections between 2014 and 2019. We elected 20 players. I say we, I don't vote anymore. Right. We, we elected 20 players, then two the following year, Ortiz, uh, Ortiz and Roland in the three years since. So I think it was sort of cleaning out the ballot. But, uh, you know, he, <clears throat> he's a prototype third baseman. He was a prototype, in my mind, a prototype Hall of Famer. Uh, one time, the highest compliment I heard about him, and, and he, you know, he was a he was a seven-time All-Star, played 17 years, eight gold gloves, um, is that when he was injured one year, the general manager of the Reds, Walt Jockety, asked him to travel with the team. They thought his presence was enough that it, they needed his presence in the, in the clubhouse. Interestingly, there have only been two third basemen debut in the last 40 years that have made the Hall of Fame, uh, Chipper Jones and, and now Scott, Scott Rowland. He's just the 18th third baseman in the Hall. That's the position with the fewest, the lowest representation. It's interesting. I think he belongs there. Todd Helton missed by 11 votes. I think he'll get in. Billy Wagner missed by, I think, 25 votes. He'll get in. Uh, and then next year, you know, Beltray, Adrian Beltray and Chase Utley go, are our first-timers. I, I would think they will both get in. So it comes and goes. So I'm going to just bang my head against the wall now on Scott Rowland. I mean, I think Scott Rowland belongs in the hall of the very good. I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame player. I don't think he's a great player. I think that the Hall of Fame has been undercut a little bit lately with the old-timers committee or whatever they call it these days, putting in people that, again, I think are very good but not great. And what I would say, and, and I'll ask this, pose this in the form of a question, is he better than Don Mattingly? Don Mattingly's not in. Don Mattingly no, had five, five years Almost incomparable. I know. We, I know his. I know you right. can make the argument against Don Mattingly, but is is Scott Rowland better than Don Mattingly? Well, he had a longer career, but I think what, what you're saying is, do you believe in a big hall or a small hall? And the big, the small hall is Frank Robinson and Hank Aaron. And Sandy Koufax. That's a small hall. No, no, I mean, guys, you don't yeah. have to look at Willie Mays' statistics to say Willie Mays is in the Hall of Fame. You know he walks it, he talks it, he's a Hall of Famer. Right. And, but the big hall theory is the best players of the generation belong in. Does Scott Rowland deserve to stand alongside Pi Trainer? Brooks Robinson, the people like that, and that's a that's a conversation that seems to have evolved in the years twenty five years ago and prior to that. I think guys believed in a in a small hall. You know, there were no unanimous. Hank Aaron was not unanimous. Right, right. Koufax wasn't unanimous. I, I I I know a guy that didn't vote for Seaver, and I I told him I said I I don't know where you're setting your bar. But it might be a little hot. <laughs> no, so if Tom Seaver does not get your vote, you might want to rethink it. And I had a friend, in fact, that didn't vote for Mickey Mantle and Dick Young, the irascible columnist in New York for years and years, called him up and said, 
and was going to eviscerate him. Now, the reason the guy didn't vote for Mickey Mantle, he thought Mickey Mantle treated him like a jerk. But what he told Dick Young, and he had to come up with an answer quickly because he was going to get taken apart in the pages of the New York Daily News, was, yeah. well, I just don't believe that anybody should get in on the first ballot. And Dick Young bought it. He believed it. He was from that generation of writers that, hey, maybe we'll put Babe Ruth in on the first ballot. But I'm not sure about anybody else. Well, let me, I'll go through the comparison. I was walking a dog this morning, and I was thinking about this. Is Scott Rowland, is he better than Nolan Arenado? Nolan Arenado is going to get 12 gold gloves when he's done, and I think his batting number is going to be higher. Is he better than Alex Bregman? These are contemporary third basemen, right? right. And I'm not knocking Scott Rowland. I'm just, and, and then ultimately what I got to was, is Ryan Zimmerman going to make the Hall of Fame? You know? Well, let, let, let's, well it was, in, in the case of Ryan Zimmerman, I think he is in the Hall of Very Good, and he's probably not going to make it. Right. Um, as someone that in the length of Scott Rowland's career, That's a long he's time. awfully good. Yes, and, yes. Uh, but, but what you're saying is, he, is he elite? Like, Brooksy Robinson will be talked about till the end of time. I mean, the, 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 the videos of him in the 70 World Series will be looked at forever. Yes. Will Scott Rowland be like that? I, I, I can't say no. that. I can't say that he's, does he deserved a seat alongside... Uh, Tom Seaver in the hearts and minds of baseball fans, it, it's a, he's at a different level. Now, does that mean he belongs in the Hall of Fame? That's a discussion that has been has evolved quite a bit in the in the in the writers' voting. Yeah, I mean, Hall of Fames are tough for me. Right. Uh, there is no way that Tracy McGrady should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is no way. He yeah, never got to the second round of the playoffs. <laughs> you know, in, in a sport where one guy is differential. You know, he yeah. never did it. It's much tougher in baseball because right. you can't, you just can't take your team to the World Series. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's just, it's much harder. And again, I'm not knocking Scott Rowland. Right. Did he win any World Series? I mean, did he... Did he win an MVP? Was he even an MVP? Did he win something? And so it's well, hard for he was for rookie of the year. He won eight gold gloves. Yeah. You know, you're right. He's in the – it's a very difficult conversation. And yeah. what has tainted the conversation is that this, these, one of these second chance committees put Harold Baines in. I yeah. love Harold Baines. He's from Eastern Shore, Maryland. He doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. No. I'm not sure Bill Mazeroski belongs in the Hall of Fame, although his calling card was, I might be the greatest third defensive second baseman of all time. Right. But that has changed the, the, the dynamics of what the Hall of Fame should look like. Well, the other enormous change is these steroid guys. Mm. Right. Because if these, steroid guys, if these steroid guys were in, we wouldn't be talking about well, Scott Rowland. Are Rome. they yeah, adjusting well, now, their thinking because they've ruled out the steroid ah. guys? Well, now, wait, wait a minute. You're right. This is, Jeannie, this is why I stopped voting. I'm so ticked off about how we handle the steroid guys. Um, you have people that are awarded the high. We have. We have voted steroid users into the Hall of Fame the last 10 years. There is no sure. question about it. But So we award guys that got away with it. We give them the highest <laughs> honor in the game. Yeah. The guys that got caught yeah. got punished. And, and so what do you do? When you can't look at a ballot now and say, I know this guy did and I know this guy did, you can't do that. So what do you do? You guess. And it just it infuriates me. In, in, in that if you put Bonds and Clemens on the hall on the ballot, vote for what he did on the field. If now you're going to say, 
if you just look at Rogers' stats from Boston, he's arguably a Hall of Famer. Before Bonds added all that slabs of muscle, 494 career yeah. home runs. Yes. Back when 494 yes. career home runs got you in the Hall of Fame. It, it's, it's, you know, and you're going to say, well, what about the ethics of it? The ethics of it is the game looked the other way. We put the commissioner that oversaw the steroid era, and he's a friend of mine, Bud Selig. We put him in the Hall of Fame. And, I, and Hall of Famers, the older guys, a lot of them are upset about it and, 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 down, the, and down the line. But um, it, to me, it's not a Hall of Fame if you don't have the best right-handed pitcher of all time he's, uh, and the best left-handed hitter yeah. of all time. I don't think there's any question about that. If Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds aren't in the Hall of Fame – and again, I'm, I'm going to use Scott Rowland here, and, and it's right. wrong of me to do, but if he's in and they're not, I mean, really, what, what are we talking about here? I, it's Sammy Sosa. He went over 63 times. Nobody's ever done this. Well, see, you know, you and I grew up in an era when 60 was a sacred number for yes. baseball fans. 61 yes. was a sacred number. Sure. All those numbers are, uh, don't mean anything now because no. of the steroid era. It's, it's hard to differentiate. Mm-hmm. Does Mark McGuire belong in the Hall of Fame? Does Sosa yeah. belong in the Hall of Fame? And it just, it, to me, it just got too complicated. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, this is good on that. I need to ask you, um, Artie Moreno not selling. <laughs> uh, if you're Shohei Otani, is that good news or bad news? Um, I think it's, if you're an Angels fan, it's bad news. He bought the team in 2003. He bought a team that is, was the defending World Series champions. They made the playoffs five times in seven years. In 13 years since, zero playoff wins. Now, yeah, one time in. And does yeah. he look at and you, you have the best player in baseball, Mike Trout. Yeah. You gave him the most money. You gave uh, Otani uh, now for for five years, no playoffs. You draw three million fans every year. You you spend money. Uh, Anthony Rendon got a lot of money, um, but you haven't done it right. And you would think a guy that failed year after year after year would look at himself and say. Maybe you know. Maybe we're running this thing wrong. You know, I see the Dodgers doing things a certain way. The Padres doing certain things a certain way, going to the playoffs, igniting the fans around here, and we're not doing anything. But he's not going to change, and I, and I doubt the Angels are going to be a factor in the American League West going forward. I agree with that. I mean, I think that's a guy. You've got the best player in baseball, right? In Trout, you have maybe the best baseball asset in the history of the game in Otani. Right. I've never seen anything like him. You had a uh, pitching staff last year that finished ninth in the entire league. That means 21 teams had a worse ERA than the Angels, and they didn't get a sniff of the playoffs. If you're the owner, you have to go to somebody, honestly, like Theo Epstein. And you have to say, if you don't want to run it, tell me who should run it, and here's an open checkbook. Right? Exactly. And regarding Otani, you know, the Dodgers sort of took a little bit, took the offseason off in terms of spending. And I think everyone in the game thinks – they're preparing a, a contract for Otani that probably will start with a five, five. that will be bigger oh, than any contract ever. Well, he's always on the field. All right. He and, never and misses a game one way or another. And he wants to win. Yeah. It's up. All right. Richie, thank you so much. Bye, Richie. Bye. Okay. Bye. Richie Justice, boys and girls. We will take a break. And then Ann Hornaday will come and wow. incur the wrath of Jean McManus. No, she won't. Oh, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Not She's if it's m- the hers is much more informed than mine, I assure you. <laughs> but yours is better. Come on. <laughs> I don't know about that. Let's get out of here. I'm Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Mind Rip, M-I-N-D-R-I-P-P. You can find them on Spotify or him. Sean Tweedley is the person who does this. This is a song called Edith Keeler, not Edith Saliza, but Edith, <laughs> Edith Keeler. Keeler. A distant relative. And not Ruby Keeler. Remember Ruby Keeler, oh, yeah. the actress Ruby Keeler? I remember. You Ruby. only have to be 80 to remember Yeah, she was Ruby. even I before our time. Tony. Was it <laughs> Wee Willie Keeler? Wee Willie Keeler was right. a good leadoff hitter. Yeah. Michael, if people like Sean Tweedley want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Please send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornizerShow.com. I have to tell people that Michael's been so brave today. Michael has taken the dog. And I'll see you later. Yeah. (laughs) And has sacrificed himself for the greater good of the show by taking the dog out of here. Ann Hornaday joins us now. And Gene and, and Liz are here. And Gene has already started in on everything, everywhere, all at once. Let's start with the movies before we get to the individual performances. Just your thoughts on, on, on anything that should have been nominated that isn't nominated, and, of course, on your position on everything, everywhere, all at once. Well, you know, I will, I will preface this by saying I didn't think last year was a particularly strong year, you know, um, just between us chickens. It, it's like... It, there was not anything that I was jumping up and down about, you know. I mean, I think we've already talked. I, I did choose Top Gun as my yes. as my mm-hmm. favorite yeah. because it was the most fun I had. You know, frankly, I was just looking. <laughs> I was just looking for the thing that made me feel good and sort of gave me a great time at the movies, and that was the movie that did. But it's not that I think it is the greatest work of cinematic art ever, you know, ever made or anything like that. And so I, so. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more love for She Said. You know, yeah. I think ah. She Said is sort of a return mm. to that classical form of filmmaking that we all probably grew up thinking that's what a movie is, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't, I just think there's this new, you know, and we'll talk about it with everything everywhere, right? It's like, I think we're in a generational shift where we're now seeing work by people for whom a movie isn't, all the president's men anymore, you know, or three days of the condor or even Tootsie, you know? Um, so that's kind of my conflict in terms of just sort of knowing how to evaluate things and being fair to movies. But yeah, I would have liked to have seen more love for she said, um, um, and everywhere, every, you know, everything, everywhere. I just thought it was a mess. (laughs) Thank you. you. It was hard to watch and it was, repetitive and I was not I'm not that much of an aficionado of the martial arts stuff and then the mother-daughter story when it kicks in because that's what it turns out being all about it just flattened me I I was very affected by that you know I was very affected by the emotional meaning of the of the movie but I thought the filmmaking itself was chaotic and you know, indulgent and just too, there was, but it's a phenomenon. I mean, like I saw it late in the summer because I missed it the first time. I think I was, I was probably out of town when it, when it screened. 
um, by which time it had become a cult phenomenon. You know, I mean, the the auditorium I saw it in was packed with repeat viewers. So it is definitely resonating with people. And, you know, it's like, again, that could probably be a more of a generational thing than anything else. Can I ask this question? It takes about a year to make a movie. So all of these movies were made during the height of the pandemic. Yeah. When nobody was going to theaters and the availability to watch a movie was somehow in your home in one form or another. Do you think in any way that has led mm. to sort of a more inner looking kind of movie? Cause you're not going Definitely. to the, you know what I'm saying? Definitely Tony. Yeah. And I was actually just talking about this when I was in LA a couple of weeks ago and bumped into somebody on the, you know, like you bump into people on the street who were right. in the business all the time. Right. And we absolutely did talk about that. And I think, you know, I first saw it with Belfast, with the Kenneth uh, Branagh movie, because he's like, you know, I didn't have anything to do. So I thought I, I, my, I let my memories come. And I kind of was, people were able to be still and as a sort of ruminate and think back. And, and then we see it with Fablemans, you know, we see it with Armageddon Time. Um, yes, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and I, and I do think there's something, and I'm, I'm actually, you're going to help me work this out, because I do want to write about it, but there's, a, there's some kind of connection between that impulse and then this kind of, um, the controls are off. You know, like, yeah. like there, aren't, there aren't the structural um, guardrails anymore to say, you've got to turn it in at an hour and 40 minutes, you know, or you've got to tighten up that second act or that third act. I just feel like people can just do whatever they want this is, now. This is how I feel, that, that if, you, if, you are, if movies are being delivered to you in your home and mm -hmm. you are sitting on your couch watching a movie, you can come back to it. You can turn mm -hmm. it off and you, sure. you can't do these things in the theater. The right. theater has to give you, it seems to me, more structure and the experience of going to a movie. Whereas right. you're, if you're in your house, you can interrupt it and watch the game for 40 minutes and go back to the movie. So if you're talking about guardrails, it does seem to me that if you're making a movie, you're making it for a different way of viewing it, right? That's what you and I, again, that is how we all grew up thinking about a movie, that it's a discrete, unitary, yeah. singular, singular experience. But I do think this, this whole kind of the migration of things like streaming, and I would argue even podcasts, too. I mean, I think a lot of... Filmmakers listen to podcasts like a lot of people do. Ari Melber doesn't that, tell you that. Love <laughs> that that freedom. You know, it's sort of like wow, they can go oh, down all these rabbit uh, holes. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, da, da, da. and it's like okay, yeah, but don't do that in your movie. <laughs> right. Don't do right. that in your movie. But like I, I wonder too if gaming is involved in that. Totally. What Wait, do you mean? Well, you're playing a game, and then you could go down this side door oh, oh, and conquer this person, then swing on back this way and throw a lasso. Know all that. Well, I don't game, but... <laughs> no, you know. I think you're absolutely right, yeah. Jeannie. Wow. I think that's all, it's, it has all converged. And as a matter of fact, another one of these, like, side conversations I had, like, street conversations I had in L.A. was with an agent who used to package a lot of TV. And he's like, you know, back in the day, with, with reg, you know, with um, linear television, you had ads that would structure your your, right. your episode. So mm. every, you had seven acts because you had seven ads, you know, to right. be able to kind right. of do right. a cliffhanger. For. Oh. Now with the binge and, the, you know, he was, quote, apparently, I, I need to 
find this, but like Quentin Tarantino was saying, with these endless series now, you have a first act, and then you have a second act, and then you have a second act, and you have a second act, and you have another second act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and again, I think that a lot of these... Um, these new forms and that those new imperatives have leached into feature filmmaking and people are kind of feel and frankly look we don't have the moguls anymore to say go back and cut it you know they don't have those people in their lives saying no sorry go back no you're right it's just like in everything i mean honestly it's like the transfer portal i mean Uh just you know Mm -hmm. the transfer portal we would all agree, I know I'm going into sports here, but we would all agree that players, college kids, got no results out of all the money they brought in for every single college. They had nothing. Now they have everything, and it's a mess. It's just a mess. Total freedom is is anarchy at some point. Yeah. You know? Right. But I mean, I'm sounding like an old man because I'm an old man. I will ask this. Of all the people that are individually nominated, regardless of the movie that they're in are there one or two where you say you have to see this movie for this performance that's a great question um you know i would say i do think andrea riseborough deliver i mean, i think she's i've always been a fan of andrea riseborough and i think her whole you know this whole way she got the nomination with the campaign of her peers and it was wonderful and and it worked and that's always exciting and, and that's into leslie that's, that's the called name to leslie right um and it's a you know she plays a, a, a an alcoholic hitting rock bottom which so it that's kind fun. of plays into some of those tropes that i think we've seen before <laughs> yeah, that's fine um but with even with all of those sort of conceits in place um, she's just always worth watching. So I would, I, you know, that is available on demand. Uh-huh. Um, um, with the dudes, yeah. you know, if those like, um, I was not, I'm not a huge fan of the Banshees of Inishirin, you know, because I'm not the biggest Martin McDonough fan, but Colin Farrell, Carol, Colin Farrell is fantastic. He's just mm. great. And he's had an amazing year. I agree. Um, I mean, he's so, like, easy to, to kind of overlook and underrate, and he's really, he's just been fantastic. I get all the Collins confused. I Colin get them, Firth? Yeah, I get them all confused, and then I don't know the other ones who lose weight for movies that are not named Colin, and I just think they're really great. I think they're all great. I mean, just give me the accent. Just give me the accent. I think they're, I, I think they're all great. Can I ask the other, the other obvious question, which yeah. is, and maybe you're not aware of this, because maybe yeah. it's not in your... Bailiwick, as we said. Did the Golden Globes rate it all on television? And I bring Mm. that up because I wonder, the Academy Awards is usually the highest sort of non-sports show every year. And if the Golden Globes rated, I would say they would be again. But if the Golden Globes went down the drain, maybe the Oscars go down the drain. I don't have that statistic at my fingertip, but my spidey sense, my sense is that, yeah, the ratings were not high for the Globes. Yeah, but remember the thing about this year though is that there are some real big hit like Top Gun and Avatar and Elvis, you know, and and Austin Butler. I will also say, even though I was not a huge fan of the, especially the first half of Elvis, um, the second half of Elvis, I thought was fascinating, and that because that's when I felt like I really did see Austin Butler's performance right. come through. Like it was like, whoa, this guy. 
he's amazing. I mean, mm. it, it, it is a it is a terrific okay. performance. Yeah. And then I'll so, see it. And he has just you know a huge following from his days on Nickelodeon. You know, so there are all these like young adults, you know, who are completely into him. So I'm thinking, you know, that maybe the popularity of the of the nominated movies and and people like him. I don't know. We'll see. Like I, mm-hmm. they've been, they've certainly been losing currency the last few years, and the pandemic didn't help. But maybe it'll turn around this year. You just don't know. I'll tell you what I would do if I ran the Oscars. Hmm. I'd have Will Smith as the host. Oh, <laughs> well, I, mean, I would. Watch. I would. You know, they're going to have to address it. I mean, I yeah. will say that Globes. I, I thought, um, I thought the host. And now I'm, of course, blanking on his name. Because early, uh, and I'm Jeremy Carmichael. Thank you, yeah. Ger- mm-hmm. Gerard, Gerard Carmichael. Carmichael. Thank you. Yep. I thought he was ter- he was wonderful. I mean, he was so sophisticated, and and uh, I just thought he was great. But um, yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to address it. Sure. I, and I mean, people. To your point, they'll probably tune in to see that. Yes, so, I would. Of I course. D- I mean, we yeah, we're 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 what? humans in the human zoo after all. I do have the ratings for the Golden Globes. Hmm. Uh, it's six point three million people, which was down from six point nine the last time they did it. Yeah, and that was down from eighteen point three. Yeah, wow. in two, in right. that, so that was that big. The yeah. old, they says the only time it was lower was during the writers' strike when they got six million. That's not. It's not good. No, it's no. not. <sighs> And feel better. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks. It's great to hear your voices. Hi, Ian. And Hornaday, boys and girls. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. More banjo. More fiddle. <laughs> That's Ian Warrington. He's playing all the instruments. Wow. <laughs> and what? And he's an emergency room doctor. Get out. Oh, yes. yes. He's an emergency room doctor. What hospital? He <laughs> was at Sibley. Yeah, he was at Sibley. Oh, I forgot where he's left no. Yeah, I forgot where he's gone. Find out emergency room doctor. For my Fairly next talented guy. Yeah. <laughs> Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda bagel ads? And people will be happy to know that after the show, that Gene and Liz and I and everybody here will have breakfast. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Yay. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com, forward a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let's do this for Gene. Every day we sweat it out on the streets of a runaway American <gasps> dream. At night we ride to the mansions of glory and suicide machines. Sprung from cages on Highway 9, chrome field, chrome wheeled, fuel injected, and stepping out over the line. Baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's a death trap. It's a suicide rap. Got to get out while we're young. Because tramps like us, baby, we were born to run. That's, of course, Bruce Springsteen. And um, that is not... Ma- Mary is the other one. This is the name of the girl in this one. At the end of the song. What's the name? Wendy? Oh, w- Wendy. Wendy. Yeah, right. yeah, sorry. So I Wendy and Mary are the prototypical 
names of people that Bruce Springsteen would have grown up with, particularly yeah. Mary, it seems to oh, me. Yeah. Not and Rosalita. Not Rosalita. Not Rosalita. But Mary, you know, in a Catholic school environment and all of that. Everybody Mary was named Mary. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, not on my side of the street, but <laughs> <laughs> thanks to but our guests today, school. Richard Justice and Ann Hornaday. Thanks to our sponsors, ButcherBox Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey if you get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. From Justin in Kelso, Washington, I am a wildlife biologist and at various times have worked on wolves. I worked at several zoos that housed wolves, and I can report to you, they do the exact same thing you observed with Chessie. Wolves are known to howl in response to ambulance sirens. I have seen on several occasions wolves resting peaceful, only to snap to attention at the sound of a siren and howl back. Sometimes we could tell if an ambulance was in the area by the wolves. They often heard it before we did and would notify us via their howling. In fact, wildlife biologists studying wolves in nature have played siren calls to elicit a response and indicate wolves are in the area. Like others have said, I have only heard about this phenomenon with ambulance sirens, not those used by police or fire engines. So Chessie's behavior has deep evolutionary roots. But don't compare her or any other dog howl to those of a wolf. Few things get the blood pumping like the sound of a pack of wolves howling. It's exhilarating. And I would add scary. Terrifying. Because if they're coming for you, it's just not good. From John Agliata. So we're talking about Howard Johnson stories now, huh? Let's narrow it down to Howard Johnson's bathroom stories, shall we? (laughs) I've got one of those. When I was a boy, we visited a ranch in Montana. My sister got an ear infection and we couldn't fly home. So dad was born and raised in the Bronx in the 1950s and a member of the doo-wop group Tommy and the Del Royals as a young man rented a car and started driving us across country back to our suburban New York City home. Along the way, we stopped at a Hojo's in the middle of nowhere. As dad and I entered the men's room, I heard him say, Tommy, and this strange adult responded, Jack. What followed was a 20-minute walk down memory lane accompanied by the pungent scent of urine cakes, bleach, and, well, let's just say, ode to Hojo Bathroom. (laughs) Tommy and my dad, who was one of the guys in the background singing Doobie Doo-Wah on the band's only hit, Trust and Love, hadn't seen each other since the band parted ways more more than a quarter century before. Oh, my god! Funny the things that can happen in a Hojo Bathroom somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Isn't that wild? The chances of that are zero. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They're simply zero. Zero. From David uh, Coutinho. Mr. Tony, loyal little here in Galena, Ohio. Zip code, yes, of Africa wrote in for me. Speaking of marmots. Do I pronounce that right? Marmots, not marmots. A couple of summers ago, me and the masculine two of my children, late high school, early college age, took our Jeep out to Colorado and finally conquered the wonderfully rough National Forest Road up to Hermit Pass in the San Isabel National Forest. Long story short, the younger masculine child forged ahead on our subsequent back packing trip into the adjoining Sangre de Cristo wilderness area and sort of disappeared for long enough that the older masculine child was dispatched back to the Jeep in case the missing child happened to have doubled back for whatever reason. All ended well as the missing masculine child eventually reappeared out of the inky shadows, but the older child had to spend the night alone at 13,000 feet in the Jeep. Not really a huge deal except that he would occasionally hear chewing noises on the bottom of the Jeep. What was it? Marmots. (laughs) Marmots. <laughs> Turns out these cute little guys are actually furry little devils known to happily chew on the underside of vehicles, sometimes even destroying brake lines, etc. Oh that God. did not turn out to be our misfortune, but who knew? A good night's rest was apparently not enjoyed by the older masculine child. <laughs> From Peter Schwab in Marina del Rey in California. I wanted to give you something to look forward to in 2023 and be a motivator to get you to the end of the year. 
On the last day of the year, 123123, the numbers will numerically be 123123. <laughs> information for life. Oh boy, here we go. That's a good one. From Dave Lord in Odenton, Maryland. I experienced the DA moment listening to Friday's show. When you said the song played was Get Up by Eric Scott, I said, I know that guy. Not only do I know that guy, I taught that guy. Eric was one of my math students at Stephen Decatur Junior High School in Clinton, Maryland (laughs) during the 1977-78 school year. We reconnected a few years ago when my wife and I went to see him play at the Waugh Chapel Shopping Center. Um, in Crofton, Maryland. We've seen him play a couple of times since then. He's an extremely talented musician, very personal individual. He plays at several different locations in the Annapolis, Baltimore, D.C. area, and I encourage all the littles to go see him play. Thanks for playing his songs and summing up pleasant memories. These things are amazing. Uh, From Eric Carlson. Were there any soft kittens training among the students on the tall ship? That's Norwegian (laughs) soft kittens. That's just funny. That's funny. From Henry Gudelski. Thank you, Howling, on Wednesday's show. Remember, I just howled for a while. For just a moment, I could have sworn my old husky Shadow was sitting right next to me. Shadow was raised for his formative years in a frat house at the University of Maryland. He would sleep in like all the other college kids in our house and wouldn't get up until I did every day, even if that meant sometimes afternoon. When he did wake up, he'd do a nice big downward dog stretch, let out a nice throaty howl, just like Dr. Tony, and go with me on a nice walk. Shadow was known on multiple occasions for taking your pizza right out of your hand if you weren't paying attention, but somehow he always knew to only take the pledges food. After college, his greatest food theft came at Thanksgiving one year, where he got to put his college education to work. After my mom took the turkey out of the oven and rested it on the island, she came out to let us know dinner was ready. She couldn't have left the turkey alone for more than five minutes, yet Shadow managed to climb the island and inhale the entire thing. (laughs) About an hour later, we enjoyed some great Chinese takeout (laughs) while Shadow passed out on the couch. (laughs) Murray Moman in Winnipeg. I'll give it a shot, sure. After graduating... University and getting my first real job, I also got a rescue mutt that turned out to be a Portuguese water dog. Great dog. Had a long and fulfilling life. However, one time, when I guess I was away from the house too long, it ate the index finger of my baseball glove. That's it. Just the index (laughs) finger. I still use that glove on weekends, and I couldn't really afford a new one at the time. I had a buddy who did leather work, so he sewed the thumb of my glove to the middle finger. I played a few years with a glove just like that. It worked perfectly fine. Big glove wasn't going to dare to dime out of me. From Kevin Boyer in Columbia, Missouri. We have five bu- we've had five bulldogs. They are notorious for eating what they should not. The first two were brothers, Bentley and Barrington. Bentley had a habit of chewing on the corners of things, doors, cabinets, and walls. He took a corner in the kitchen through the paneling, the drywall under it, and down the corner bead steel frame. He tore the stainless trim off the refrigerator. After cooking a pretty big roast, I pulled the bone out of the middle, and since he was standing right behind me, I reached down and gave it to him. I turned back around to attend to the roast and heard a loud snapping noise behind me. I turned to look. He'd bitten it clean in half. When meeting people on one of our short walks at the park, I always had to warn them, he won't bite, but if he does, he won't let go. As Roy Hamilton said, don't let go a long time ago. I should do one more because this is on a personal note. This is from Tom Mosser. And we have taken his beautiful painting yes. of a dog sitting in a museum looking at a painting of a, a painting tennis of ball. A tennis ball. <laughs> and we have put that on the PTI show all that week so far, and it will be there all week. And he said, this is so cool seeing my painting of Lucas behind Tony. My phone is blowing up a little's emails. Thanks so much for making this wow. happen. So much fun. A little told me that Dan Byrne is playing Pittsburgh. On February 1st at a great little club, club called Club Cafe, and I'm going with my fiance. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, do wear white.
Now they all get involved and they all got their gear all ready and so they're going to be all colored up in uh, in the maroon and black. You're a moron. Yeah. <laughs> You're a moron.
So oh.